This morning, we're in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14 again. And we're going to learn from John's insights on the Holy Spirit. And I've titled this John's Pentecostalism. Probably a better title would have been John's Pneumatology, but I thought most folks wouldn't get that. If I did say that, if I said, here's John's Pneumatology. Right? Pneumatology is just a fancy word for a study of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So if I said, here's John's pneumatology, how many of us would just, you know, be right now going, oh, great, okay. Sit through this one. But if I were to say, this morning's message is about how to have a great life. How to be happy all the days of your life. I came up with some clever sounding title like that. How many of us would go, oh, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's, that's good. That's good. This is going to be good. I'm glad you came this morning. Um, can, can I say that those titles live on the, on the surface edges of our life? John's pneumatology lives at the heart of our life. You know, and most of, I think all of, the surface issues of our life find their cure and get impacted by what's going on deep in our theology. What we understand about God... As Mr. Tozer says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if we have small thoughts about God and unclear thoughts about God and areas that God has chosen to make himself known and clear, then we're going to struggle over here. And we're going to love these messages over here, how to be happy, how to have a great life. And there's lots of teaching out there that's being done that won't sound like what we're going to teach about today. Almost as though if I can teach you five steps, how to be happy in five steps, you know, do this technique, that thing, this thing here, go there. Uh, well, when, when I come to Scripture, I find out my understanding about God, the person of God, and the person of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's what's going to drive any form of happiness in my life. To think that I can be joyful, content, and have a rewarding and good life with a nominal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry, is to fool ourselves. But so here's the reality of the Christian life. All that you and I know about the Father and the Son and the economy of God and the gospel, all that you and I know must be made real to us by the Holy Spirit. And He is the connection point to God. Now, in the mystery of God... You know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all one. But yet there is dimensions of their ministry that we can pull apart and look at. You know, it wasn't the Father who died on the cross, nor was it the Spirit. But neither is it the Father or the Spirit who comes to dwell in us to make known to us the Father and the Son. So there's an aspect that is being highlighted in these passages that... This is the touch point for us. This is the connection point with God for us. And so we can't afford to be sort of ill-informed in this category and think we're going to have some great life. Because this is where the, the Spirit of God makes known to us the reality of God. So if I were to ask you today to take me to the major Bible passages that teach on 
the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit, right? Take me there real quick in your mind. Where, where, would, where would you go? Right, you'd, you'd, you'd go to Acts, jump into 1 Corinthians. If you're a decent Bible student, you might run to Ephesians 4 and maybe even 1 Peter 4 if you really don't want to study Romans 12. You extract some of them. Those would be typically where we would go. And, and those are good. Those, those, we should go there. Those are very important passages on the Holy Spirit. It would be somewhat of a generalization, but somewhat accurate to say, you know, when, you, when we come to the Gospels, the Gospels are specializing in their emphasis on the person and work of Christ. Uh, when we come to the, to the book of Acts, I think it would be accurate to say that book is specializing on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, if I were to ask you then to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what would you include in that description? Like most of us would give what I will call a, a Lukean presentation of the Holy Spirit. When we press that button, we say, let's talk Holy Spirit. What comes out of most of us is what Luke teaches us, what God had revealed to Luke in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. And so when we talk Holy Spirit, we tend to sound like Luke, which is good because Luke's in the Bible and it's the inspired word of God. And we better sound like Luke. Because that's the revelation of God. But we should not only sound like Luke. Right? Here's, here's some Lukean theology really, really quick here. Luke chapter 24. The end of Luke, Jesus shares some thoughts about this coming of the Holy Spirit. Right? He's beginning to, to get more and more focused on that. John extremely focuses on that. But, but Luke is beginning to get more and for, more focused on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples... He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, you'll notice Luke's presentation of the Holy Spirit is wrapped in power. He talks a lot about power. He talks about the coming of the Spirit. So there's, there's things to learn about how the Spirit interacts with us and what kind of description we should have about the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, beginning there, Luke picks the same emphasis up again. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I, often when people talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes up. And it should. Because Luke teaches us about this. Can we all, you know, when you go to the Bible, if we all go armed with this realization, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about anything. Okay? You with me on that? It's not an insult to the Bible. The book would be much bigger, that's all. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about anything. Which means it is a selective book. It means God chose to inspire and reveal certain things. Which to me immediately makes everything that's in here incredibly important. Because God chose to leave some things out. And he chose not to leave some things out. So the images that get created by the scripture are very intentional. So I come to Luke. I'm finding these times of passages that are bringing the thoughts of power about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, what a powerful effect. You individually are going to be impacted so tremendously by the Spirit of God that you will go to the ends of the earth. What a scope. What an impact. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly... And these are images that Luke gives to us. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Later on in Acts chapter 8, and again, there would be numerous examples. I'm just pulling one further example from Acts. There would be numerous examples of the coming, initiating work of the Spirit in people's lives, the ongoing miraculous work through the church taking place through Luke's writing. Acts 8 verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive... The Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, it's almost like, what, is that a a problematic baptism? Is it defective? Luke, why are you teaching us about this? Because there's a realm of ministry of the Holy Spirit that needed to be understood beyond the baptism of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You know, why don't we lay our hands on people? We pray for people. Because Luke teaches us something. Of all the things that we could learn, these are the things Luke was inspired to write down for us. So Luke reveals aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry that include this sudden impact. The Holy Spirit can show up and often does, and we should expect him to show up in sudden, dramatic ways. Luke tells us that. I should not expect something different. Holy Spirit's ministry is dynamic and and observable. It's experiential. It brings with it things that you can watch and see. There are aspects to belief and the promises of God and doctrines of God that are sort of invisible and, and don't move anything. But there are aspects of the Spirit's activity in our life that are observable and demonstrable. And so Luke gives us this record throughout. Things like tongues, prophecy, an increased boldness in their life. They were casting demons out of people. These are observable dynamics. Now, I should expect that. If I'm looking to be biblical in my theology of the Holy Spirit, I should expect this to be seen. Superhuman abilities came with the Holy Spirit. There was divine giftings that were going to be resonant. In the life of the church, there were healings that were going to take place. There was miracles that would take place. There was there was knowledge that was to be found in people's minds. Remember Acts chapter five. We don't get too far before uh, Peter knows something about Ananias and Sapphira who have misled people in the way in which they brought an offering. And both of them are going to end up dead by the end of the story. But but there's something that's been revealed to Peter about What's going on inside of these two? 
And so there's a revelation there that there's superhuman abilities. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he doesn't show up as a cheerleader on the sideline. We take the field and, and hey, come on, go for it, score a touchdown. No, he shows up in the life of a believer and gives to that believer abilities, insights, qualities of life that he did not have without the Holy Spirit. And now Luke teaches us all these things. But when we come to the Gospel of John, right, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us would have said major passages before, of course, I made you turn there, major passages in the Bible that you would teach on the theology of the Holy Spirit from? Would you have gone to John? But yet John is probably one of the most Pentecostal writers in the Bible. And he is so all the way through the the, the Gospel of John. But he is so, especially here in the end, because Jesus makes him so. I mean, this, this is, Jesus is getting to the end of his course. His mission on earth is coming to a close. This is his last evening with the disciples. The cross is clearly in view, just a, a matter of hours away. And it's as though you can see Jesus running the race with a baton now being extended to the Holy Spirit. And he is beginning to highlight the Spirit over and over and over again. He will do it throughout the evening. One could very well say here in chapter 14, as we began with, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be troubled. Was The basis for that was Jesus telling them, I'm going away. You remember? That's how we got into this whole discussion. I'm going to be going, and where I'm going, you can't come. And, you know, wait, 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 time out here. You're You're leaving? <laughs> You didn't tell us that a few years ago when we abandoned everything and came to follow you. You didn't say, hey, it's a three-year stint and then I'm gone. You didn't bring that up. You're going to be going. That, that can't be a good thing. So this whole issue of the troubled heart flows out of Jesus' departure. Now, what is it that Jesus is primarily trying to get their attention on in terms of the realm of comfort in their life? It's, it's going to be okay. As a matter of fact, it's not even going to be okay. It's going to be better. That I go. Why is it going to be better? Well, he did say he's going to prepare a place for us and he needs to go and get to work on that. Okay, that's good. But he stops talking about that in just a moment. But he will continue for the next few chapters to talk about the Holy Spirit's coming into your life. John cannot help but talk about the person of the Holy Spirit in his ministry because Jesus is making a big deal out of this. Like it's a good thing. Like it's all been part of God's plan. See, John is a Pentecostal because he is looking to the day of Pentecost as though it's a major event because Jesus is Pentecostal and he's looking to this day. John reminds me of of Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah and Joel in the Old Testament who were explaining the economy of God and all of them would stop at some moment and point to this day when it's going to be all different. It's going to be uniquely different. Different than all that they had known as a nation of Israel, this day of Pentecost would make it different for the people of God. Jesus explains, as we'll see today, that the disciples had known him in a certain way, but when the Spirit comes, it's going to be different. So John is a Pentecostal writer. He is writing about Pentecost and its significance. Now, John's perspective, I think this is in your outline, John's perspective is a much Needed perspective on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
without which we are in danger of becoming imbalanced in our theology and practice. Okay? Luke gives us revelation on the Spirit. John gives us revelation on the Spirit. Both are in the inspired Word of God. We should be well informed by both of them. We need both of them. Right? You look in your outline, I ask you to consider a similar danger. The ministry of Jesus Christ. There is the ministry of Jesus Christ that is revealed in the Gospels. And then we have the ministry of Jesus Christ revealed in the Pauline epistles, as well as the other epistles. But I just make an issue of Paul's because people who want to argue with the Bible make an issue of Paul. They make an issue of Paul's presentation of Jesus. And they make an issue that Paul's presentation of Jesus is different than the gospel's presentation of Jesus. They almost question the validity of Paul's presentation because they say, which I don't believe is true at all. They say that it's just a different Jesus. And the one who walked around, the humble servant who walked around in sandals and did good to people. See, now what happens is when you come to the Bible and you either intentionally de-emphasize Paul or you over-emphasize the Gospels, that are all part of the Word of God, when you do that, you're going to create a different Jesus. And what's happening in the church world today is sort of this social justice Jesus that's getting created out there. He's kind of a Peace Corps Jesus. You know what the Peace Corps is? Uh, it's, it's this group of people who are seeking to do good to humanity, who travel all over the world trying to install irrigation systems and, and bring medicine and relief and, and feed folks and, and deal with human suffering. So now if you make this Jesus who's in the Bible and you say this is who Jesus is, he was one who dealt with human suffering. Man, that's why he showed up on the earth was to care for the broken and the downtrodden. He would have helped the politically uh, down and out. He would have helped those who were needed healing in their bodies. See, Jesus would have been into social justice. Well, how, do you, how do you create that kind of a Jesus? From the Bible. Just not from all the Bible. And this is the danger. If I can make my case from the Bible, and you don't know the Bible real well, then I can convince you to follow me because I am quoting the Bible and I am using the Bible. So I, I present social justice Jesus out of all the passages where Jesus went around doing good to people, feeding them, caring for them, being broken by their brokenness, having compassion on their lostness and their waywardness. But I don't even have to get to Paul here to do this. If I just go through and look at, well, how much time did Jesus spend emphasizing what you believe about him? A lot. See, this is where the razor would cut you. You know, you might like social justice, Jesus, but would you like the Jesus who turns and looks you in the face and says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. And he said that over and over and over again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. So Jesus is going to make a big deal out of believing. Now, when we get to Paul and Paul presents Jesus Paul makes an even bigger deal out of believing. Paul spends much more time teaching about who Jesus is and not just what he did when he went from town to town and touched people's lives. So Paul teaches much more. Now, what if I, what if I do this? What if I become a church that says, you know what? I don't want to pay attention to the social caring Jesus. I just want to pay attention to the teaching Jesus and to the teaching of Paul on Jesus. Well, what's that church going to start sounding like? A church that's only concerned about what you believe. You know, I, I don't care that you're suffering. 
that you're going through difficulty in your life. Your world is falling apart and there's brokenness all around you. and You can't meet the needs that are in your life and you need to be fed and cared for. I'm not really concerned about that. I'm just concerned about what you believe. Okay, now, neither one of those is right. They have pieces of being right. But they're not right. See, we can do that to the ministry of Jesus and we can do it to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we take just a piece of the Holy Spirit's revelation from Scripture and build our theology on the ministry of the Spirit on a piece. Now listen, you can do that with Luke because Luke is so loud about the Holy Spirit. We need Luke's presentation of the Holy Spirit. We also need John's presentation of the Holy Spirit and to see the Spirit's ministry through that. So what aspects of the ministry of the Spirit does John most anticipate? Well, look here in John 14. Let's start reading in, let's start reading in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, now why are you not going to be left as orphans? Because of the Spirit, you're not going to be left as orphans. Yet a little while... And the world will see me no more. But you, you will see me. Why? Because you're going to receive the Spirit. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Right? This is the ministry of the Spirit. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, can you follow Judas's question for a second? The only Jesus they've known is the Jesus who walks around on planet Earth with sandals on. They're not quite putting all this together yet. We're going to see why in just a moment. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to manifest myself to you. So Judas, he's he's wise, dude. This is a good question. It's like, okay. If you're going and you're coming back and you're going to manifest yourself to us, well, won't everybody see that? How is it that you say you're going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? Jesus, if you show up, everybody's going to know you're here. You're going to be manifesting yourself to everybody. So how is it that you just do us and not the world? See, he's not getting that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming into the believer's life and not into the unbeliever's life. And Jesus will manifest himself through the Spirit. To them. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. 
If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. All right. John 14 begins with this emphasis on believing. Right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Now, believing is going to bring about a number of things here. As we said last week, believing is, is all that the Bible teaches about believing. It's not just mental awareness. Believing is putting your faith, your hope, your life into what Jesus is saying. And he says, as a result of believing, your hearts will not be troubled. You'll be able to overcome the fears that come into your heart. But look in verse 12. Then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. So if you believe, then the troubled heart gets cured. And you begin to launch out on this venture in life to where you actually begin to minister like Jesus ministered. And have an effect upon people's lives the way he did. As a result of what? As a result of believing. And, and then he says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So now in addition to those two things, now we have a third thing here. As a result of believing, we now have this power with God to ask and things are going to happen. The universe is going to shake and rock because of the prayers of believers. Now, why does all this take place? Because of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the whole key here is Jesus going away. And the whole goodness of him going away is that the Father's promise will come to you. The, the promise of the Spirit that will result in your souls not being troubled. In you doing works that are going to blow your mind. And in you being able to pray down heaven in a way that you never understood before you can ask anything in my name. Because of the Spirit. See, this is all in the context of John's presentation of the Spirit. That's why this is true. Now, I want to make this connection today between John and Luke. Because they're all inspired by God and to be equally appreciated. Here, here, I wrote this out in your outline. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of power. If for no other reason, because it's outside of us. Right? It's not a psych job. It's not a pep talk. It's not you taking all the power you got and jazzing it up as, as full-blown as you can. It's power because it's, it's something in addition to, foreign to us. And it's an enabling work. But, but Luke makes so clear that the ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of power. Therefore, Pentecostal power that is associated with the coming of the Spirit's ministry in our lives includes the ministry that is highlighted in John. Can everybody go there with me? You with me? Right, we've heard Luke talk about the power. You shall receive power. There's power in the Holy Spirit's ministry. And that power is also in the categories that John is going to highlight in this passage. Right? Look in verse... 16. I will ask 
I'll go through about four areas that he highlights here of the ministry of the Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another. So a similarity exists between the ministry that Jesus had into their lives and the ministry the Holy Spirit's going to have into their lives. That word helper, in some of your translations, would, would, would use the word comforter. It's the Greek word parakletos. And it's one who comes alongside and, and comforts. So the definition I put in your outline to comfort or to encourage or exhort. One who helps by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of. So there's a consoling, caring, encouraging, comforting ministry that the Holy Spirit is going to bring. It's good that I go away, Jesus said, because I'm going to send the person of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes to your life, he's going to minister comfort and encouragement. Now, you know, I don't fully know how the Holy Spirit does that. But, but what I do understand in this is the presence of the Spirit coming into my life is going to radiate something into my existence that's going to have the impact of encouraging me. And comforting me. And helping me. Where is that going to come from? It will come mysteriously by the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me highlight something here. This passage is not about getting comfort from other sources. Although, we do get comfort from other sources. And many times the Holy Spirit's using those things in our lives. For instance, this is not a passage about the Bible. I want us to carefully notice this. This is not a small thing. Because in Christendom today, I think the Bible is more revered in some ways than the Holy Spirit is. I think for various reasons. But it's almost like we know, we, we know to treat the sacred word of God a certain way. And we should. But this is not a passage about the word of God comforting us. Although the word of God does comfort us. But this is the danger. What, what we do as Christians is we take this word of God, we put it there, that's the word of God, and this is me. And I'm going through a hard time, and I'm being counseled to take that and make use of it in my life. As though that's over there, and I'm over here, and then with my ability, I'm going to pick this up, and I'm going to help it to make a difference in my life. And that's almost the way some Christians deal with the Bible. But this passage is about a person of the Holy Spirit coming to me to bring me encouragement and comfort with an ability that's outside of, beyond, complementing my own. This is not a passage about the church. We get lots of comfort from each other. We get encouragement from one another. We get support from one another. And we should. The Bible teaches on that. But not in this passage. This is a passage directing us to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who will come into us and in mysterious ways and sometimes in observable ways. He will bring comfort into our lives. So I should expect that. I should look for that. Look in John 14, verse 11. Back up to verse 11. This ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of signs and wonders. Believe me. That I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Right? Now, that, that catchphrase is very important because it provides the reason as to why you're going to be doing these greater works. Well, okay, Jesus, we're going to be doing works like you did and greater works than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Oh, well, that doesn't explain anything unless I take the context of John into account. What will happen when he goes to the Father? The Spirit will be sent. And when the Spirit comes into our lives, right, garden variety, everyday average Christian receives the Holy Spirit, receives the reality of this passage in their life. The works that I do and greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Now, let me highlight why it's important that you study John's pneumatology. Because the mere fact that God chooses to teach us anything and not just do it and constantly surprise us by stuff that we don't have any idea. Why is that showing up in my life? Why did I walk in that? You know, you know I don't, I've never heard of this thing. Let's call it prophecy. I've never heard of it, but it's, you know, it's this weird ability that kind of popped up in my mind. Why does God teach us about those things? I think because it has something to do with our ability to receive it and walk in it. Somehow we've got to know about it. So what if I'm a person who doesn't have good pneumatology informed by John, and I don't ever expect that the works that Jesus did and greater works than these I'm going to do? I don't ever expect that. Well, guess what? I almost guarantee you that you're never going to see it either. Is John really telling the truth here? The works that Jesus did and greater works than these the church will do because of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. For his ministry. So really, you know, what you see in Acts, you see taking place through these individuals, is the same thing that you saw in Jesus taking place through an individual who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is why the gospel is not completely only about the person and work of Christ, because he was anointed by the Spirit and went about doing these works. Now, you know, if you read commentators on this, there's, there's a little bit of questionableness of, well, what did... Jesus really mean the works that I do and greater works than these you're going to do. I mean, how can you improve? He just raised Lazarus from the dead here a couple of chapters ago. How can you improve on that? I mean, how do you how do you do a greater work than raising somebody from the dead? So is that really what this verse is about? Well, you know, maybe what Jesus meant was the greater works are like the greatness of salvation, like the great work of people coming to Christ, which is yeah, absolutely an incredible miracle, more so than raising Lazarus from the dead, honestly. Well, maybe that's what he was talking about. Or maybe he's just talking about greater in scope. There's more of you. There'll be more of this stuff going on. You know, maybe all those things are, are possibly answers to this. But uh, I have to stay in the context here. Jesus said the works that I did. And then he said, believe on account of those works. And, you know, what? Jesus, Jesus rallies. They were miracle rallies. But remember, he had a very small band of followers. So the, the great work of evangelism is really going to, it's going to explode onto the scene here at Pentecost. Uh, I'm, you know, Jesus used to question his crowds. The crowds would gather and he'd say, yeah, you guys came all this way because I fed you over there. Right. So, I, you know, it's always questionable as to why people were following him. Many of them left. He challenged his disciples. You guys want to leave too? I'm not sure the works that are being referred to here are salvific works, although I believe many were saved, obviously. They were miraculous works. That were taking place through Jesus' life. And he's saying, you're going to do these too. Paul highlights this in his own ministry in Romans 15. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by what I taught them and by what we did amongst them, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. When he referred to the ministry of the gospel of Christ, he put the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the power of God in the same sentence. The church should not separate those two. Even if we're not doing good in one of them, you don't want to just pull it out and evaporate it from the scene. It is part of gospel proclamation, both to declare the power of God and the words of God. And that's what Paul did. And this is some 30 plus years after Uh, the ministry of Jesus, and it's still going on. But this next thought, John teaches us in John 14, verse 16, about the ministry of his abiding presence through new birth. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about Pentecost. He's talking about a day when the ministry of the Spirit is going to undergo a change. And what you have been experiencing while I've been with you has been the Spirit with you. What you're going to experience is the Spirit with you. In you. And there's a difference. There's a difference for these guys. It's the reason why Jesus put so much emphasis on saying, wait, wait, wait in Jerusalem. Because God was about to change the way the Spirit was going to operate in man, no longer with you, but now in you. So there is this abiding presence of God Himself in the life of a believer that we learn from John. Matter of fact, we learn it all over the place from John. Right? Luke, as a matter of fact, doesn't do much teaching, if he does any, on the Spirit's role of regenerating us. Right? Re- regenerating, new creation, born again. Where do we get all that teaching from? Not from Luke. Listen, all you got is a Lukean theology. You probably are very deficient in understanding the realm of being a new creation. Being born again, because John's the one who gives us the revelation in that category, right? Just here, you're still in John? Turn to John chapter 1. John the Pentecostal. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Look in John chapter 3. Jesus takes this up again. John again records this. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God. Look in verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, if you travel outside, John is all over this issue. This is an issue that, that God made so real to John that he writes about it incessantly. If you go into the first John, right, and there's some passages in your outline there. First John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why does one not make a practice of sinning? Because he's born of God. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You see how many times John brings a revelation here of this inner birth of the spirit, this seed planted inside of us. It's like God is making clear there's an, an alien life that's come to reside inside of you that will animate itself in you. It, it, it will make its presence known in your life. You will come under its influence and its effect in your life. And John is so confident about this reality that he said, you know, no one who practices sin has that going on inside of them. Because when the Spirit comes inside of you, dude, something's happening in an amazing way. John is absolutely convinced and confident about this. He doesn't downplay it. He doesn't make it, you know, well, you know, for some Christians, you know, they're kind of experiencing God that way. And you know, I, I just don't. Listen, if you're making a practice of sinning, you know, it's not a matter of me saying you don't take your Christianity serious enough. If you're making a practice of sinning, you're just not serious about loving God. I mean, maybe I could say all those things. But what John says is if you're making a practice of sinning, then you don't have something inside of you that would kill that practice. Who would be the Holy Spirit? And that's serious. Matter of fact, right now, that is seriously bothering some of you. Isn't it? Because right now you're going, oh, I wonder if what I'm doing qualifies for practice. <laughs> I do it a lot. Take a break every once in a while. Maybe that rescues me. This, this should be disturbing because, here's why it should be disturbing. Because it's powerful. And it should be impacting. See, John, he is so confident in what, you and me? No. He doesn't qualify this at all. He doesn't sit around and say, you know, wow, the Spirit were present in your life. Uh, well, I mean, I know a few people that, oh, they're just too much for the Spirit. He's present. He just can't see the righteousness going on in their life because... Man, they're rascals. <laughs> Just too much for the Spirit. He doesn't qualify this at all. He makes a statement that says, if the life form of God gets inside of you, sin will be no match for it. Now, now what I want to ask you, this is about John's pneumatology. Remember that big fancy word? You wake up in the morning, 
and you have been beaten up for three days now by some sin that's beginning to look like a practice in your life. Do you wake up with good pneumatology? Because good pneumatology would tell you that ain't got no business going on in your life. Oh, but I feel so defeated and I'm so discouraged and I feel so condemned. I don't know what that is. It ain't good theology. Because according to John, if the Spirit of God is in you, you are not defeated. As a matter of fact, it would be impossible for you to be defeated. Well, I want to live a happy life. Does he understand why these little cute little titles don't take us deep enough? Five steps to a happy life. Uh, I, I might want to get deep into John's pneumatology so that I can understand why patterns in my life need to go and should. And I should expect them to be gone. And I can overcome that. And you know what? If I'm seriously believing that, isn't that where we start in John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, you don't understand my Believe. Well, I don't know if I can. Well, then I don't know if you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. If I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God, can I believe God? Yes. Of course I can. Now, now this might just make a light go on for some of us, right? I can get up in the morning and say, well, then what the heck am I doing wasting my time thinking the way I'm thinking? Yes, I can do something different. Yes, I can think differently. Yes, I can believe God. Yes, I can walk with God in agreement with God. Yes, that thing's going to diminish. Yes, it's going to be gone. Well, when I say, that's not pie in the sky. That's just John. He's just telling you. If God is present in you, and he is so because he has been with you, but he will be in you. Thank you, John. If that's true... Well, then this is what in me is going to look like. And no one who is born of God is going to keep on practicing sin. Set your, set your sight higher. Set your goals higher. Believe the Bible about the presence of God in our lives. Well, what about this? Go back to John. Go back to John 14 here. What about what else he highlights in this little brief passage? He says he's going to ask the Father... Verse 14, 16, we'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. John identifies the Holy Spirit with the label, he is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He dwells with you and he will be in you. Look over in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom he's the spirit of truth, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A supernatural event is going to take place because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you and give you insight. I don't think he's just going to, oh, yeah, I remember Jesus said that. No, I think this is recalling with understanding. This is the Spirit bringing light and, and extra impact and information about things that they had already been taught but they didn't get. Right? Very interesting. And this is peppered throughout. If you just turn back one, two chapters to John 12. 
Remember, Jesus is fulfilling the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling prophecy. And Jesus quotes Scripture. The Scripture identifies him as one who's coming into Zion. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Why is that significant that it says Jesus was glorified? Because when Jesus is glorified, he is going away. And if I go away, I will do what? I will send the Spirit to you. John chapter 7 talks about these rivers of inner Rivers of living water that would flow from our innermost beings. And the Bible says that these things Jesus spoke in reference to the Spirit, who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Why are these guys all of a sudden they're getting stuff? Lights are going on for them. Oh, yes. Jesus said, oh. Can you imagine how they were comparing notes? Holy Spirit's come and brought influence on their thinking. And all of a sudden, all these things that Jesus has been downloading into their life for three years. And many times in Scripture, Jesus said, you're not going to get this now. You're not going to get this now. You won't get this now. It's like, well, Jesus, why tell them? Because they're coming a day when you will get it. But why would you get it? Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And his influence and role in your life is to lead you into the truth. And he did that over and over and over again in their lives so that now they see things that they could not see before. Not, not would not see, could not see until the Spirit came. Now listen, is that a powerful thing? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right? Now, I don't know where you go with power, but that's a powerful thing right there. The dull Human mind, and we're informed by all of Scripture about depravity, how it's, it's soaked into every fiber of our being, right? Romans says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So you have a mind as a human being that cannot, does not want to, get revelation from God. And now you have a different picture. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit, in a person's life has come with power to turn the lights on. Listen, this is right up there with the power of raising the dead. Because the Bible says that you and I are spiritually dead and enslaved to sin and blind. Right? I mean, if, if somebody came forward today and they were blind and we laid our hands upon them. And they turned around and they looked at you and they could point out names and faces. We'd be blown away, wouldn't we? But if this morning there's somebody sitting in the audience here and we open the Bible up and you go, oh, I get it. I get that. We kind of like, yeah, so. Do you understand, according to the Bible, both of those are miracles. Because the fallen human mind doesn't get God until the Holy Spirit miraculously makes us able to get God. If you understand anything about God, it's the miracle of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that's done that in your life. Right? Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Get this one in front of us real quick.
Verse 6. Paul says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understood this, right? And some of the rulers were pretty smart dudes, by the way. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, right? They'd have bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't get it, so therefore they killed him. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. All right, now God's prepared something for you who love him that the ear doesn't get and the eye doesn't get and the heart doesn't get. Well, how are you going to get it? These things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So how is it that any of us come to a point of understanding God, understanding God's ways, being able to look at life and be happy with some new insights about how that actually gets pulled off? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. It's better that I go away because the spirit of truth will come in you and he will lead you into the truth. And light bulbs are going to start going off about your life and about your future and about your abilities and what you can do versus what you think you can do and about who God is in your life. This is the ministry of the spirit. Now, again, John's all over this, right? First John, chapter two. Equally, a verse of great confidence. Listen to what he says. Now, I want, I want this to bury into every one of us who are sitting in this room who have ever said, I don't get it and you don't understand. I just, I just don't think I can get it. Right? In whatever category that applies, there'd be many of us who, in some aspect of our life, we don't get it and we don't think we can get it. I need to be informed by this word. It's not true. 1 John 2, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have an anointing. referring to the same way in which Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Look in verse 26. I write these things to you. Interesting that he writes them even though you may know them. There's still a need for writing. There's still a need for learning. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is has taught you abide in him. 
Every believer has an anointing, a teaching minister inside of them to lead us into the truth. This is this is the spirit of God's ministry in our life. Now, what what happens if we don't inform ourselves on these things? Well, we just wake up and we we marshal all of our best smarts. And, you know, I wasn't good at school and I didn't do this and I don't like to read. And well, you know, well, there's the end of your study dynamic, isn't it? Why study? Why grow deep in knowledge? Because I can't really get it anyway. And somebody else is just going to need to teach that to me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be able to understand things. Oh, I never used that verse that way. I always thought power meant we're going to be witnesses. We're going to go out and tell people about Christ. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. That helps. That is what we're doing. But John said you're going to receive power to understand, power to be led into the truth, power to overcome deceiving thoughts and ideas and principles that are not according to truth. And every believer can do that, not because we're smart in ourselves, but because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who is in us. All right. Now, let me bring us to a point of close here. Application. Here's my conclusion in your outline there. The ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of power that includes new birth, revelation and illumination, transformation, overcoming sin, sanctification, spiritual gifts and enablements for the works that Jesus did, and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, and this is the day... That John is anticipating. It's the day that Ezekiel was anticipating. It's the day that Jeremiah was anticipating. It's the day that Joel was anticipating. You remember when the day occurred and Peter stood up to explain what had just happened? He quoted Joel. People watched this outbreak and the people walked out of the building and this mighty rushing wind came into the building. They came out speaking in tongues. And Peter stands up before the audience to explain what just happened. And he said, this is what Joel foresaw. That's a very interesting dynamic because Joel doesn't say anything about anybody speaking in tongues. But yet that's what they did. They spoke in tongues. The day that he foresaw was the same day that Ezekiel foresaw, that John has been foreseeing. Now, now what I want to do is raise this question to both sides of the aisle. Right, have you landed on planet Christianity and noticed that there are two sets of people when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Everybody with me? Got two sides of the aisle here. Right? So no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I want to raise this question. When did we develop the idea that being Pentecostal meant speaking in tongues? Now let that bother everybody in the room for a moment. Because right now the Pentecostals are going, oh, you mean, of course that's what it means. Yeah, you're right. I agree. Of course that is what it means. It's just not all that it means. And I speak in tongues. As a matter of fact, in the meetings that I've been, I'm, I'm not nearly the Apostle Paul. I can't say I speak in tongues more than all of you all of you do. But in any meeting that I've been in, I can say I speak in tongues more than the rest of them do. So I speak in tongues a bit. And I believe it's a very important gift. But where did we get the idea that we're going to say being Pentecostal is about speaking in tongues? Being Pentecostal. John was Pentecostal. Talk about tongues talked about some amazing things. He was awaiting some amazing things. 
to take place. On that day, Jesus spoke a lot about what was going to happen on that day. I think I put this in your outline. This imposing of restrictions has had a terrible effect on the body of Christ. When it comes to a move of the Spirit of God, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're Baptist, you grew up learning that a, a move of the Spirit of God was salvation. It's a Billy Graham crusade. It's just as I am, I come, and they come, full, you know, coming forward. And if you're Baptist, you say, man, God was moving. People were getting saved, man. God is moving in that church. If you're a Bible church or Presbyterian, maybe, a move of God is the protection of the doctrine of God. That's when God's spirit is moving because he's the spirit of truth, you see. We're protecting the doctrine of God. If you're a Plymouth Brethren, you know, a move of God is about holiness. It's about the way we walk. It's a move of God. We call that a move of God. If you're Pentecostal or Charismatic, a move of God is about people speaking in tongues and, and healings taking place. Okay, now, can you just travel with me here for a moment? Who gave us permission to divide God up that way? You know, when we stand and say, this person came forward, we laid our hands upon them, all this is biblical. I'm not criticizing any of those things, by the way. All of those in my book are moves of God. The move of the Holy Spirit. When somebody comes forward and we put our hands on them, we pray for them, and they speak in tongues. And several other people do that. We say, Man, God moved. God moved this morning. And then we have a time where we don't do that. But what you didn't necessarily see was light bulbs going off all over the room. People getting the word of God. Ah, that's what that passage means. Ah. That's what that means in my life. That's a move of God. God is moving in that room because your mind is a terrible place for God to have to move. I think the only reason why the tongue is so featured is because it illustrates how difficult we are to control. And if God can move and make you speak in tongues, whoo, he can do anything in your life kind of thing. Well, you know, making you think a certain way is right up there in my estimation. And the Holy Spirit comes and he turns the lights on and you go, yes, I get that. I've got this big theology book in my office. It's called Renewal Theology. Systematic Theology from a Charismatic Perspective. It's a good book. But I want to ask the question, is there any other perspective than charismatic? Because the only theology that any of us ever get is spirit-given theology. It's not as though you can come up with this on your own. It's not as though one of us can understand a wit about God apart from a move of the Spirit of God. So let's be careful before we assess that's a move of the Spirit. That's not a move of the Spirit. That's a move of the Spirit. There have been some churches who get it in one category and stink in another. And I'm sure we're on the list. Get it over here, but don't get it over here. This seems to be flowing. This seems to be stagnant. So, but, but God is moving. The Spirit of God is moving. Let me close with this quote. And Matt, you can come back up. Terry Virgo says, It has been a source of great sadness to me to see two schools of thought within the evangelical church over many decades now. 
Those who come glorying in manifestations of power sometimes seem dismissive of those whom they regard as cold theologians. I heard a man speaking at a large conference saying that theology was the enemy of the church. And that if only we could abandon doctrinal perspectives, the church would be a happier place. Uh, John would not agree with that. A move of the spirit for John was a move of the spirit of truth. What tragic nonsense, Virgo says. We also see and hear those who love theological insight and savor doctrines of Scripture expressing equally dismissive remarks about Christians who are enjoying God's power as though they were mere children preoccupied with experience. Luke would disagree with you on that. How I long for a recovery of true biblical Christianity where the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, also raised the dead. See, the Holy Spirit can move on Paul and deliver one of the most incredible doctrinal teachings in the world. And through the same man, raise the dead. That's a move of God. And here's what I want us to conclude with. In John, Jesus makes a statement here about the ministry of the Spirit that I hope that we will open our hearts to. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will manifest myself to him. For every one of us, Christianity should be experiential. If you've come from a background that somehow has taught you to downplay experiences, you would be on the eve of Jesus' last moments with his disciples. You would have been arguing with him. Because he is saying, I'm going away, and what's been with you is now going to be in you, and my Father and I are coming in the presence of the Spirit in your life to manifest ourselves to you, and you will experience God. Now, I hope your theology has a lot of room for that. And I hope we broaden a view of what it means to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And a little while ago, I plugged a book for you. Some of us just don't like to read, don't like to study. It's just not me, you know. Some of those who would bear the label Pentecostal are the worst. Because I'm, I'm Lukean in my theology, understand. I'm Read, why read? I'm just waiting for God to zap me with a chapter. <laughs> Can I just come forward and you lay hands on me and just, you know, download chapter 6 and 7? Just boom. Chapter, you, want to, you want chapter 8 too? Come here. Chapter 8. Now, and, okay. Um, God doesn't move that way, but okay. But that's almost like, well, that's a move of the Spirit, brother. That's just how, that's just how it happens. You know? Okay. Well, you take that up with John. Because John involved a lot of learning. Jesus taught them a lot knowing that one day the Spirit would turn the lights on on what they had been studying and reading from his life. And then they'd get it. Why do we tell you to read and study? 
so that when the lights of the Spirit come on, there's something in the room with you. <laughs> it's like, I get it, I get it, the lights are on. The room is empty. <laughs> um, but how about when the Spirit of God moves, there's something to learn. There's something to experience of a revelation from God that should come by saying, but I just don't like to read. It's just not me. Listen, there's a lot of people here who never spoke in tongues because it wasn't them. They never prophesied because it wasn't them. They never ministered to another person because it wasn't them. They didn't do the great works that Jesus did and more than that because it wasn't them. All this is not you. None of it's you. Until the Holy Spirit brings it into your life and makes it you. All right, so this is going to be a very different Pentecostal altar call. All right, this is a... This is a moment where we're going to lay hands on you for the power of God to come into your life so that you will become a better student. This is the first. This is a historic first. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever had an altar call for the filling of the spirit of truth in our lives to lead us into the truth. So as Matt begins to lead us, let's stand up together. If you're here this morning... And you would say, I, I, I'm not a student. Or you'd say, oh, I am a student, but there's no evidence that I'm a student. <laughs> uh, if you're one of those categories, it's a struggle for me to read. Oh, I just don't like to study. Oh, that's just a difficulty for me. Okay, I, I want you to come forward. I'm going to have everybody come lay their hands on you in particular. But we're going to pray for the ministry of the Spirit of God to come upon you and for you to receive the Spirit's influence in your life so that you would become a student. You would study. You would delight in doing that so that there's truth for God to lead you into. So as we conclude in this song, just, just come. Just come and ask God, God, I want to be filled with your Spirit, Lord. I want to be filled with the power of your Spirit. I want to be guided into the truth. I want to have greater understanding. Just, just come and ask God. I know there's some people here who don't do some studying. <laughs> Come on, girl. Come and get it. All right. I would want some folks to come pray for these. I would want some of you to, to have experienced God in this category. I want you to come pray for folks. God has given you grace to enjoy the study and pursuit of God's word. Come and pray. Come and lay your hands on these folks. And let's marry together John and Luke's teaching on the coming of God with power into this category of our lives. Lord, this moment, your spirit is alive and well in your church. You promised us the spirit would dwell with us, but he would be in us on that day. Well, Lord, this is that day. We live in that day. This is, this is the other side of Pentecost. This is the common reality. Today, your Holy Spirit is in us, and he is in us to lead us into the truth. He is in us to enable us by His presence. He is the indwelling, abiding presence of Your Spirit animating us. He's the reason why we can overcome sin this morning. He's the reason why some in this building this morning right now can say, You're evicted. Sin, you are on your way out. These are your waning moments. You're coming to an end in my life. Not because we're great, but God, because You're great and Your Spirit is in us. And your word knows nothing of roommates with sin. Your spirit has come to abide in us, living, abiding presence. So, Lord, I pray 
this morning as we conclude in song, would you roam throughout this building? Holy Spirit, roam throughout this building, giving a surge of faith to some to turn to their sin and their patterns of sin and say no. No longer, by the Spirit and the grace of God, no longer will you rule over me. God, for some that are here this morning, their struggle has been to study, to get in your word, to make a priority of learning so that you can turn the lights on and let that illumination flood into their understanding. Lord, and there's been lies that have been told, lies from their experience, lies from difficulties, lies from not being a good student at some point in their life. Lord, the truth this morning is your Holy Spirit in us is greater than all those lies. So God, right now, would you look at those who are this morning asking for a fresh filling? And God, would you manifest a hunger for your word in their life? Would you turn the lights on, God, so that revelation comes in such a significant way that they want to come back for more? They want to come back again and again and again to sit at your feet, to read and study because they are so enjoying Seeing you in your glory and enjoying you with understanding. Holy Spirit, this is your ministry. Welcome your presence here. We we sing, God, because you are present here with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we want to experience you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.